0: morning again (laughs) I was able to arrange some things so I could be back today and I'm very happy to be here to minister again fitting song we just finished singing one of my favorites by the way Uh, praising our Savior all day long we're going to look at a psalm today a psalm of praise So turning your Bibles, if you would, to Psalm thirty-three. Psalm thirty-three. You've been taught well in Scripture here in this place. So you know that these Psalms are hymns, they are poetry, they were sung. They were sung publicly. Thanksgiving in the Old Testament was almost always done publicly in the temple or the tabernacle earlier on. And they have structure. There are poetry with structure. The Psalms are not haphazardly thrown together, but they have structure. And there are different types of Psalms. Uh, We will uh, be looking at a particular type today we'll describe in just a moment. But they have structure to them. And there are different types of psalms uh, that, that we have in the book of Psalms. Today's psalm is called a descriptive psalm of praise in Psalm 33. I want to start, though, by looking at a New Testament text. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, which says the following. You also, us believers, the church, Peter says, you as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. And what is our task? This holy priesthood, he says, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Our task as the church, one of our tasks, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Now, what are those spiritual sacrifices? Well, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, we read this. Through him, through Christ, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. One of the most important spiritual sacrifices that we have to offer up is praise. Praising God all the day long, we just sang. Praising God. Another way to say that, praise, is to rave about. One of our greatest tasks in the church is to rave about God. Do you rave about God in your life every day? C.S. Lewis says that we, we, we rave about, we praise what we admire. What we appreciate, what we value. A musician can rave about the composer of the song that meant so much to them. A coach can praise, I'm sorry, a, an athlete can praise their coach for teaching them, helping them grow in the sport. They rave about the coach What should we be raving about? I want to read some verses in Revelation. The last book in the New Testament. If you want to turn there, it would be great to look at this. Roman, uh, Romans, sorry. Revelation chapter 5. Listen to what heaven raves about. Revelation chapter 5. Beginning verse 9. This, these are the four living creatures, the 24 elders in, in, in heaven. They sang a new song, verse 9, saying, Worthy art thou to take the book and to break its seals, for thou wast slain and didst purchase for God with thy blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Note that. There's going to be somebody in heaven from every tribe and tongue and people and nation every language, every group. And thou hast made them to be a kingdom of priests and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. And I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor, and glory, and blessing, and every created thing, notice this, every created thing, which is in heaven, on the earth, and under the earth, and on the sea, and all things in them, I heard saying, to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be blessing, and honor, and glory, and dominion, forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen, and the elders fell down, and worshipped. What is heaven occupied with? Praise. Raving about God and what He has done and who He is. I would encourage you. I would challenge you. I would plead with you to make this a core part of your every single day life. That you are praising God, raving about God. He is our life. We've been talking the last couple of Sundays about His grace and about truth. He is all of those things. He is definitely, as we just read in Revelation, worthy of our praise. So in Psalm 33, we have what is called a descriptive psalm of praise. Now, again, as I said, these psalms have structure. So let me give you the outline quickly. This is a very simple outline of Psalm 33. Verses 1 to 3, this is the pattern of this kind of a psalm. You have a call to praise. You have a cause for praise. And then you have a conclusion of some sort. So in in this psalm, verses 1 to 3 is the call to praise. The call to praise. Verses 4 to 19 is the cause for praise. And we'll look look at that and break that down a little bit more in a minute. 4 to 19 is the cause for praise. And then verses 20 to 22 is the psalmist's conclusion when he brings it all together. Now, as I said, praise in the Old Testament was done in public. And who, now let's look and see who is being called upon here to praise. The call to praise. Let's read verses 1 to To 3. Sing for joy in the Lord, O you righteous ones. Praise is becoming to the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with a lyre. Sing praises to Him with a harp of ten strings. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. So, who is being asked to praise God here? First of all, he says, Shout for joy to the Lord, O you righteous ones. Who is that? That's us. God's people. Old Testament, New Testament. God's people, O you righteous ones, us, are being called upon to praise God. Sing for joy in the Lord. Praise is becoming. Now, I I like a word, a different word here, which I think expresses this more easily probably for us to grab a hold of, and that is, I would use the word praise is fitting. Praise is fitting to the upright. In Psalm 147, verse 1, we read this. Praise the Lord. It is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and praise is fitting. Many of you ladies spend money on accessories, right? There's whole departments in stores called accessories. You can spend a lot of money in that department, right? And most of us men, your husbands and other men, we really appreciate the fact that you spend money on accessories. Now what do they do? They accessorize, right? They they complement what? They complement your beauty. They complement your beauty. They're fitting accessories to your beauty. And we appreciate that you wear those things. It makes you even more attractive. What is a fitting accessory to a child of God? according to this text. Complaining? Whining? Grouchiness? No. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, listen listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 5 by way of contrast. He says, But do not let immorality or any impurity or greed even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting which are not fitting but rather giving of thanks. What is not fitting for us? Filthiness, coarse jesting, impurity, immorality. These things are not fitting for us. What is fitting for us? Praising God. Thanking God as a pattern, habitual pattern of our lifestyle, every single day. Praise is fitting. Complaining is not. Whining is not. Fighting is not. Gossip is not. When you're praising, it's hard to be complaining at the same time, isn't it? When I'm praising my wife, it's hard to be telling her things she's doing wrong at the same time, isn't it? Praise. Fitting accessory for the child of God. Now look at verse 2. Give thanks with a lyre, which was an ancient stringed instrument. Sing praises to him with a harp of ten strings. Music. It's a big part of my life, and I'm sure for many of you. Imagine a world without music. I I can't even... I don't want to think about a world without music. Sing praise, give joy with music, with instruments here, right? It's okay to use instruments to praise God. Which instruments? (laughs) Now, as many of you know, in recent times, There's been a lot of discussion in churches and music music and worship about what style of music, what style of song, what kind of instruments are appropriate or not appropriate in the church and singing and music. We even had a few years ago a term called worship wars. Terrible term. But, you know, you get the drift. And maybe, I don't know if you've wrestled with that here a lot, but I've been involved in some music in churches where that's been a problem, and that's been a, there's been a lot of contention about music style. Should we be singing contemporary songs? Or should we sing old hymns only? Should we only have piano? Should we have organ? Should we have other kinds of instruments? There's an Old Testament scholar, Ron Allen, who's studied the topic of worship, particularly worship in the Old Testament, a great deal, and he's written several books about the subject of worship. He was a a grad student at Dallas Seminary when I was there as an undergraduate. He came to Bryan College, where I teach a few years ago, and said something that I was unaware of. As he has studied worship, And music and instruments in the Old Testament. I found this very, very helpful and enlightening. Now you know there are a lot of different instruments mentioned in the Old Testament. We have two mentioned right here. The lyre and the harp. But you know there are trumpets in the Old Testament. There are other kinds of instruments that are talked about that were used in worship in, in, in the Old Testament. In singing psalms and so forth. And Ron Allen said, none of the instruments in the Old Testament that are mentioned that were used actually in music and worship, none of those were native to the Hebrews. They were all brought in from other surrounding cultures and readapted, reused, and changed to be used in the worship of Yahweh in the Old Testament. I found that very, very interesting. None of these instruments were native to the Hebrews. They brought them in from other places, other cultures, and used them in the worship of Yahweh in the Old Testament. So let me suggest to you, (laughs) you may not agree, and that's fine. Any instrument can be used to worship God. Remember we read in Revelation 5, there's going to be people in heaven, there are people there from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Do they all play the same kind of music? Do they all use the same kind of instruments? No, of course not. We had an American Indian chief come to Dallas, I'm sorry, to, uh, to Bryan College a few years ago. <clears throat> and he played an Indian worship song from one of the American Indian tribes. And it was what you might think if you think about American Indian music, I don't know what you think of, but if you think of drums, pretty much being all there was, which is, the, which is what it was. And it was the Indian style, oh, you know, the, what you think of as American Indian style of music. It was a worship song sung that way with drums. And when it was finished, he asked a very interesting question. At least I thought it was interesting. He said, was that Christian... Hmm. Is that okay? <laughs> right? Is, is, that, is that an acceptable, fitting way to worship God? I think so. May not be your style, or my style, preferably, but can we not bring into the worship of God as it did in the Old Testament instruments from all over the place? And use those, refashion those into ways that lift him up and praise God. I think absolutely that we can. And as a musician, that is very encouraging to me. (laughs) I have good friends who play electric guitars really well. And I'm really glad that they can use those to praise God. And you can also praise God with no instruments. I was listening to a a sermon coming up here from one of our brethren in the Church of Christ and they don't use musical instruments. They were singing a cappella. Was there anything wrong? Of course not. You can praise God however you want to. Just do it. Sing to the Lord. Now, notice in verse 3 Sing to him a new song. Now, I think new here can certainly mean new, like new, brand new, right? But I think it can also mean the idea of fresh. Sing things in a fresh way, a different way, a new way. One of the things that's happening in in some contemporary music now, which I really appreciate often, is that some of the older hymns, older songs, are being redone with different tunes or different melodies, different rhythms in fresh ways. I think that's fantastic. When you sing, when you worship God, come with something fresh that's right out of your soul, right out of your heart, whether it sounds good or not, musically speaking. Some people sing, I like to sing in the shower. Do you sing in the shower? Is that always really great music? Probably not. But it's fresh, right? It's coming out of your soul. It's coming out of your heart. And it honors him. It honors God. Lifts him up. Even in the shower. Sing songs that are new. That are fresh. That are coming out of your heart. That are, that are spontaneously. Expressions of your love. And your praise to God. And then he says. The psalmist says. Play skillfully. With a shout of joy. Does that mean you have to be a professional musician? If the only way you can really praise God is to be, you know, really, really, really good. If that were the case, it would leave most of us out, right? Because we're not necessarily professional quality musicians. But I think he is saying, Make it as good as you can. <laughs> Make it as good as you're able to. Because he's worthy of that. He's, God's worthy of the best you've got. And, may, and, and, and that's going to vary across this room right here. Some of you can sing well. Some of you can't sing all that well. I have friends who can't carry a tune in a bucket, Right? They can still sing from their heart in praise to God. And He's pleased and He's lifted up. Make it as good as you can. Don't settle for anything less just because it's for Jesus. Make it good. Make it as good as you can. Do it as well as you can. Lift Him up. Praise Him. That's a fitting accessory for our lives. Now notice, he says, with a shout of joy. Do you do much shouting in this place here? Probably not, I would guess. Most of us evangelicals who are just nice biblically trained people, we find it kind of uncomfortable sometimes even to lift our hands, let alone shout. The tabernacle in the Old Testament, was that a a quiet place? If you were to to walk into the tabernacle in the Old Testament, would it have been a quiet place? Would the temple have been a quiet place? I don't think so. (laughs) What was going on in there? Well, for one thing, they were sacrificing animals. How quiet a process is that? Think about that for a second. They were ringing bells, they were blowing trumpets. There was a lot going on in the tabernacle all the time, and in the temple. These were not quiet places. We come together, though, sometimes in the church, don't we? And we say, oh, shh, shh, quiet, gotta whisper. Come in this room, and you have to whisper all of a sudden. Really? Why? Well, it's, I don't know, I don't know. Shout with joy to the Lord. In whatever way you want to. Including in the shower. Driving your car. You ever sing when you're driving a car? It's a great place to sing and worship God, isn't it? Just praise Him. This is a fitting accessory to our lifestyle. This should be what characterizes us all the time. That's the call to praise. And I hope that it's calling you right now, <laughs> in your life, to praise God. Now, why? These psalms always, after telling us to praise God, we should praise God continually, shout for joy, make it skill, make it, uh, do it skillfully. Why? So the psalm now, in verses 4 to 19, is going to tell us why we should be praising God this way. What is our cause for praise? So beginning in verse 4 through verse 19, we have the cause for praise. But let me break this down a little bit more. Verse 4 says, "The word of the Lord is." upright or another way to say that is the word of the Lord fulfills itself the word of the Lord is upright it fulfills itself and all his work is done faithfully in faithfulness that's verse 4 now verses 6 through 12 in this psalm amplify verse 4 verses 6 through 12 amplify verse 4 then let's read verse 5 He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the loving kindness or loyal love of the Lord. Verse 5 is amplified in verses 13 through 19. Verse 5 is amplified in verses 13 through 19 and then we have the conclusion, verses 22-22. So let's look at verse 4. The word of the Lord is upright. The Word of the Lord fulfills itself. It's absolutely dependable. His Word, His work is done faithfully, in faithfulness. In Psalm 119, verse 90, David says, Thy faithfulness continues throughout all generations. Thou didst establish the earth, and it stands. God's work, God's Word, is absolutely reliable and faithful you may have heard about the young man who was learning how to be a paratrooper this is going to be his first jump and his instructions were the following number one jump when you're told number two count to ten and pull the ripcord. And if the parachute does not open, pull the second ripcord and open the second chute. And number four, when you land, that truck will be there to pick you up and take you back to the base. Plane took off. Men were jumping out. The rookie jumped when he was told. He counted to ten, pulled the ripcord. Nothing happened. Pulled the second cord, second chute, didn't open. Then he thought to himself, with my luck, bet that truck's not going to be there to pick me up when I get down either. God's word is not like that. God's word is faithful. Look at verse 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart from generation to generation. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom He has chosen for His own inheritance. God spoke and it happened. In Genesis 1, God said, in, Let there be light. And what happened? There was light. Immediately. God speaks and things happen. God created it all, spoke it into being. Verse 10 says he nullifies the council of the nations and frustrates the plans of the people. I read that and I can't help but think about Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11 is about a tower. Remember that? People came together and they said, we're going to build a tower to heaven. God had told them to be fruitful, multiply, and What? fill the earth. That's what God said to do. Be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth. Man then said, no, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to come together. We're going to come together. We're going to build a tower to the heavens. A tower to ourselves. God says, no, you're not. He came down and he frustrated the plans of the people. They couldn't understand each other anymore. And you know as well as I do when you're around someone that you cannot understand because you don't speak their language, it's very frustrating, isn't it? My son-in-law is from Brazil, speaks Portuguese. I've been trying to learn some Portuguese. And when I see his dad, wonderful, dear man, and we sit together, (laughs) and I can't talk to him. (laughs) And it's so frustrating because I want so much. I have my dictionary, you know, and I try. He tries, you know, a little English, trying to figure out how to... We have so much we want to say to each other. And it's so frustrating. God's frustrated the languages, frustrated the people of the Tower of Battle. He says, no, you're not going to do this. This is not what you should be doing. And if you won't fill the earth, I'll make you fill the earth because you can't understand each other. So you're going to have to find people that you do understand and start associating with them and spread out, which is exactly what Happened. God frustrates, nullifies the counsel of man, frustrates the plans of the people. But God's counsel, verse 11 says, stands forever. God's word stands forever. Now, many of you are familiar with Isaiah chapter 55. Let me read these verses verses 10 and 11 of Isaiah 55. Well known verses, but they're worth reading and thinking about again. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. God's Word accomplishes everything that He says that He wants done. And it's faithful, and you can rest in it and rely upon it. Isn't it interesting that we as believers can have a prophecy conference? You ever been to a prophecy conference? Look in the Word of God. If you take it at face value, as I, I try to do, it talks about things that haven't happened yet. I think it does anyhow. It talks about things that are still future and it talks about a plan. God evidently has a plan, as he's always had a plan, and he's working his plan. And he's telling us a little about it in certain texts of Scripture. Things that are not yet haven't yet happened but are going to happen. How can we have such a thing as a... Buddhists do not have prophecy conferences. But we can have a prophecy conference. We, we can look in the Word of God and be assured that what He says is going to happen is, in fact, really going to happen. What He says has, is happening is really happening. God's Word is faithful. It's trustworthy. You can rely on it. And we're going to be trusting His Word forever. Not just for now. As I said last time, His grace. We're going to be standing in God's grace forever. Not just right now. God's Word is absolutely faithful and stands Forever, his plans from generation to generation. Now look at verse 5. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the loving kindness, Hebrew word chesed, loyal love of the Lord. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the loyal love of the Lord. Now let's read verse, beginning verse 13. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From his dwelling place he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all, he who understands all their works... The king is not saved by a mighty army. A warrior is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a false hope for victory. Nor does it deliver anyone by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him. On those who hope for His loyal love to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. In Psalm 147, we read some of the similar notions in verse 10 and 11. He does not delight in the strength of the horse. He does not take pleasure in the legs of a man. The Lord favors those who fear Him, those who wait for His loving kindness. God who knows all things, who made us. He says, Look to me, look, trust me, not your horses, not your armies. I'm your hope. Right? I'm your salvation. Trust me. My work, my word is faithful. He says the eyes of the Lord in verse 18 is on those who fear Him. In Psalm 34 verse 15 it says the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and His ears are open to their cry. Matthew 5 Jesus says in the Beatitudes Blessed are the who in spirit, poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 2 Chronicles 16 verse 9 The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. The eye of the Lord is on those, verse 18, who fear him, who hope for his loyal love to deliver them. Not our strength. Not our strength. But God's. Not our armies are going to save us. God is. He is our strength. He is our life. He is our hope. And he supports those whose heart is completely his, who look to him, who hope for his loyal love. So the psalm ends with these words. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Many of you know that great verse, Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. What a great passage. Here he says, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help, our shield. Our heart rejoices in Him because we trust in His holy name. Let Thy loyal love, O Lord, be upon us, according as we have hoped in Thee. He is our help. He is our shield. He is our strength. He is our life. He is everything. Think of that hymn. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. You believe that? I hope so. Your hope is only found In Him. His word, His work is faithful and reliable and trustworthy. If it's not, then we're in really big trouble. If God is really not sovereign over His universe, then we're in deep trouble. We have then no real hope. But He is. He created it. He's spoken into being. He is, and He's faithful in it. And He has a plan. And He's working His plan. And nothing in heaven or hell is going to stop that. He's building His church. All over the world. I read recently that in not too many more years, there's going to be more believers in China. The church is exploding in China. There's going to be more believers in China than the entire population of North America. Did you hear that? There's going to be more believers in China than in the entire population of North America. A lot of people in China. God is building His church. And nothing's going to stop it. Trust Him. He's worthy of your trust. He's worthy of your praise. And I just challenge you and encourage you today as you leave here... Just be praising God. Be thankful. Make that be a fitting accessory today to your life. The people around you will see, boy, that person, that, ah, I see something in them. And it's good. It's good. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you're a great God. A creator of all things. A God who is full of love, loyal love. Who is omnipresent. Who will never leave us or forsake us. Give us a new, fresh awareness of that this morning. Help us to be people who know that you're a God who is worthy to be praised and who worship you, who praise you as a lifestyle for our lives every day. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for truth. Trust our lives again, our families our work this week, all that we do, we commit again back to you. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.